the type of attention that actually changes perception is something called the brain's orienting system. And the metaphor I like to use, and you'll, you've, you've read the book so you know, is this notion of a flashlight. So what does a flashlight do? Whatever it is that we direct the flashlight toward, we get more information, right. better clarity, more acuity, and we can use that to maneuver well. One way we get to use our flashlight is by deciding where we direct it, okay? But this is a resource that can also be yanked by things in the external environment. A ding of the phone, somebody calls out your name, uh, you know, all of those things, your flashlight's going to go to those. And they're, by the way, it's going to go there like this without your knowledge. Right. You are just going to orient to it. And we know the kinds of things that get our flashlights going. Things like threatening or stressful information, self-related information, things that have to do with basic needs, sex, drugs, rock and roll, if you might, you might say. Those are the kinds of things that are just going to grab us before we even have a chance to say, hey, wait a second, that's not where I want it to go. So in that moment, what's the most important thing you need to be able to do? Know where your flashlight is pointing so that you can say, ah, this is where I want to be. Here's where it is. I need to, need to bring it back. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziggler's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person, then do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. And we want you to have what matters. Also, check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them, good and bad. And we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my True Life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com. Connect with Tom Ziggler and the Ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. At the top of the show here, you heard Dr. Amishi Ja, who is a professor of psychology at the University of Miami. She serves as the director of contemplative neuroscience for the Mindfulness Research and Practice Initiative. Dr. Jaw's work has been featured at NATO, the World Economic Forum, the Dalai Lama's Vision Summit, and the Pentagon. She's received coverage in the New York Times, NPR, Time, Forbes, and more. And she's author of Peak Mind. That's a new book, which we use as a platform for this show. She spent the last 25 years researching the science of attention, our attention, through extensive work with the U.S. military, medical professionals, elite sports teams, and more to answer this question about attention that we're going to talk about. Her TED Talk on how to tame your wandering mind has over 5 million views. So here's the deal. If you think of the world of business and marketing, and then even the role of parents and teachers, and you readily hear the phrase of, or the thought process of how can I get people's attention, Right. Well, today we spend every day tuned in to screens whose sole purpose is to get our attention to the degree that we've now got to focus on how do I get my own attention? 
How do I hold my own attention? Our attention is in so many ways, and that's what we hit off the show with here, the only power we really have. We can call it a superpower. We say it is our only power, the only thing we have uh, an influence and impact on. The only thing we can help or find success in or enjoy is what we give our attention to. We all know the concept of budgeting our money and our time. Now we're faced with budgeting our attention. And if we can't control our attention, all hope is really lost towards progress in our lives. Uh, You can find Amishi's book, Peak Mind, wherever you get your books. And I'm going to bring her to you in just a moment. Amishi, the first thing I did was watch your TED video. And right off the bat, I got to admit, I had a little bit of disappointment because you said we're not using just 10% of our brain capacity. We're using all of it. And it totally took away that hope that someday I'm going to get struck by lightning and boom, man, I'm going to use all of my brain power and I'm going to levitate. I'm literally going to move stuff. <laughs> and you just took that away. From, so I'm a little disappointed. I got to admit. So sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. Not I, the case. It was interesting though. I mean, that's, you know, that's a controversial thing and. I mean, I literally, there's movies I like. Remember the, did you ever see the one with Phenomenon with John Travolta where he has a tumor and Mm. it helps him access his brain and he's just brilliant. But you say that's not the case. We are dying from using our brains, but having too much overload. That's what I want to start with there because I think we always feel things are most acute in our day and age. But I mean, with information as they are, it's, I mean, is it wrong to say it's cataclysmic right now? Hmm. Um, you know, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Okay. hundred percent. It's the case that we are, and it's going to continue to happen. So maybe this is just the beginning of the next phase of what we're in for, but the faucet of information is just on full throttle. We are getting it all the time in every way imaginable. And, but if you really think about the history of this, this brain system that I talked about in the TED Talk and that, that I write about, the whole reason it was designed is because the brain has too much information. So much, there's so much information in the environment, it cannot fully process it. And we're talking about our evolutionary ancestors as well. So the notion that there's much more out there than we can grasp is part of the success story of having an attention system through the course of human evolution. And what we're dealing with now, I think, is beyond just too much information. It's the way in which the information is delivered because it is so right on getting us and getting our attention system to work exactly the way it was designed to do. So it's not that there's something wrong with us. It's actually everything right about us is being used to the advantage of other ends. That right there. There you hit the crescendo of what just was so weighty on me. As I watched your tag talk, as I researched you, as I read the book, and it just got me thinking differently about attention. Here's my premise, uh, Amisha. It was years ago, I had Mastin Kip on the show, and he does a lot of work about trauma. And he's the one that said he's probably not the first one. He's not the only one since then, but it's, it's where it clicked for me. He says, being a victim, when we do that, we give our power away. And that's always stuck with me. When I decide to complain, to criticize, to be a victim of something, I'm giving my power away because I'm saying I don't have it. And my gosh, I don't ever want that. I want to be 
uh, actually Tom Bilyeu kind of talked about a, a different thing. He says about t- t- taking too much responsibility. Go ahead and, and be, take radical responsibility because even if it's stupid, it's the only way you've got some power and control. So you brought me right back to there really acutely saying that my attention, you talk about that first chapter of your book being a superpower. And I thought to some, well, not to some degree, it feels like you tell me to every degree, it's, it's my only power. It's all, it's all I got. What do you think? I wouldn't say that that's wrong. I think that it's one of the major things that we could do. And think about what attention is. It is, it is this fundamental capacity to bias the way our brain handles information. Okay. So the way that we pay attention and what we pay attention to recalibrates the entirety of that 100% that I was talking about, not the 10%. So that means that we can actually willfully direct those resources and decide how we want to calibrate the brain's processing depending on how we pay attention. So that's... Does that part make sense? Yeah. Well, tell me more about that because I actually pulled that uh, quote out of the book saying attention changes perception. That was that was out of left field for me initially. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it was because I, 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 of course, I, I read, so I got some understanding, but I want you to I want to take that statement and put that out there. So folks listening, she says attention changes our perception now because I'm thinking about no, I, or I, no, not no, but you know, here's five things that I'm choosing what to give my attention to. And we're going to talk about multitasking here in a second, but that's it. But you're saying, no, even the thing that I think I'm paying attention to, my attention changes my perception of it. That would never have been on my radar. So unpack that. So, okay. So let's talk about what this kind of attention is, because there's multiple types of attention. The type of attention that actually changes perception is something called the brain's orienting system. And the metaphor I like to use, and you'll, you've, you've read the book so you know, is this notion of a flashlight. So what does a flashlight do? Whatever it is that we direct the flashlight toward, we get more information, right. better clarity, more acuity, and we can use that to maneuver well. It's the same idea. When we devote our computational resources in that way, we literally hear sounds more clearly. We comprehend more fully. We um, perceive visually with more precision and and acuity. So it is changing the resolution of the information that's coming in to improve it relative to everything else that that flashlight's not on. You're giving me science, and this is why I'm excited and why you're on the show. Yeah, Yeah. Because you're giving me data and science on perspectives I've just played around with like I'm aware but I haven't really taken it captive even the the aspect I'm going away this weekend so I got a big family busy stuff I'm going away because I've got to finish the a rewrite of some sections of my book and it helps me just to get away and I I talk about I got I just got to go down the rabbit hole and it's so difficult for me to do that even in my office, it's a great office. I chose it. I could get any office I want, to, but for some reason, it's just where I do other things. Home is where family is. And so I'm going to go away and go down the rabbit hole. And when you talk about what I extrapolate as when I take is I'm taking my attention, I'm, I'm focusing it. You talked about light, like a flashlight. Well, a laser is even more focused and it yeah, can exactly. drill through can metal. Pass. Yeah, exactly. You can narrow, you can broaden. 
and you can direct it. That's the other quality it has. Yeah. You can decide where it goes. Now, here's the thing, though. This is the other side of the coin when okay. you were asking earlier about uh, the power of our attention to change perception. One way we get to use our flashlight is by deciding where we direct it. Okay? But this is a resource that can also be yanked by things in the external environment. A ding of the phone, somebody calls out your name, uh, you know, all of those things, your flashlight's going to go to those. And they're, by the way, it's going to go there like this without your knowledge. Right. You are just going to orient to it. And we know the kinds of things that get our flashlights going. Things like threatening or stressful information, self-related information, things that have to do with basic needs, sex, drugs, rock and roll, if you might, you might say. Those are the kinds of things that are just going to grab us before we even have a chance to say, hey, wait a second, that's not where I want it to go. So in that moment, what's the most important thing you need to be able to do? Know where your flashlight is pointing so that you can say, ah, this is where I want to be. Here's where it is. I need to, need to bring it back. Okay, I want to jump over that. We're going to jump around a little bit here because as you talk <laughs> about that, I am, I'm an, I'm an optimist, uh, but I also like to have the cards on the table to know what we're dealing with in any challenging thing. You know, my, I have a daughter who just went overseas for the first time for an extended time at least and plenty intimidated. And so I like to talk about, okay, here's, here's some expectations, not to be a pessimist, but some things. And just know that that may, you may have to deal with that. It takes away a lot of the power. So you mentioned it a minute ago, kind of where I started off with the show. I mean, we are, I'm sure a lot of people have seen Social Dilemma, the, uh, mm -hmm. the documentary, and that it used to be that the marketplace, commerce, whatever you want to call it, capitalism, however you want to term it these days, but was out there and they're waving at us, right? You know, it's a billboard. And they're trying to get our attention so that they can hopefully sell us something. And what Social Dilemma did a good job of showcasing it some, but they're not the only ones talking about this. The reality is that now, just by turning my head and giving attention, they make money. That's mind-blowing. And it, and it goes to you that we're, to what you said a minute ago, we are in a, in a place now where the vast world around us is becoming they're masterful at getting our attention and so i'm not a conspiracy theorist a theorist I, i'm not against capitalism personally you know but they're trying to get our money and do their job and that's by getting my attention and so i've got to know what i'm up against every day when i wake up that boom here i am and you're saying hey your greatest power is your attention and i'm in a culture primarily most of us are that is doing everything they can to I'm not going to say a, a negative, like steal it, but just to get it. Absolutely. So, but it still is your superpower. Yeah. It still is the case that, and by the way, that's why they want it. <laughs> they want it because what does it do? It, it makes it actionable. Not only are you going to put your eyeballs on the screen, but then you're going to click buy, right? Or you're going to spend time uh, yeah. so that they're advertisers. So there's a reason that this is happening. But what I would say is, Knowing that we're in this climate where, yes, our attention is a commodity, one of the things we can arm ourselves with is the knowledge of, of what those algorithms are doing that grabs us. 
Okay. Why are they so powerful? And that's what I was just saying, spelling it out. And this goes to the history of, of, again, the development and the evolutionary history of attention. Why did it develop? It developed to advantage some information, and it developed to advantage that information for our survival. That's why things like threatening, interesting, things that have to do with, um, you know, qualities and things that we might want in our lives, anything that's self-related, that's why they, it grabs our attention, because it is likely, through our evolutionary history, to advantage survival. So knowing that, first and foremost, is like a useful thing. Yeah. But then you got to cultivate something else, given the current circumstances, because even if we want to, the chances of us isolating ourselves from the use of technology and even social media, I would say it's, it's zero. We live, it's air. It's the equivalent of air now and food. <laughs> We can't, you know, you could say I'm going to break up with my phone, but then try driving your car and getting somewhere you haven't been for. You're going to pull up the GPS. You're going to want to have uh, guidance. So I think that the, you know, we're, we're in this situations where, situation where we can say, okay, look, we know what we're up against. I feel like I'm not able to own my own attention. It's getting yanked around. And I feel it. And I would say, yes, that is happening. So one thing I can do is say, I'm going to just not ever engage with technology. I would say that's a non-starter. So what's another thing you can do? And that's actually what I what I'm digging in on in, in the book is we can actually train our minds to pay attention differently so that we are not so vulnerable to feeling that sense of no ownership over where it goes. And that means that we, the first step in that is to know where it is, to just moment by moment know where it is. Check in with where your mind actually is and, and relate that to where you want it to be. Okay, I'll I'll ask that to you then personally because I hear on one sense you saying okay there's this vast raging sea of attention getting information out there that we're all amongst and it's really hard to get rid of it if we are I mean to you know, it's a Ziegler show if we have a goal if we are intentional with what our purpose is what we're doing in the moment then we should be okay but I will throw that at you too I am. Um, betting, I hope I didn't miss this in the reading, but I'm betting that you have done some things to somewhat limit that influx. Oh, yeah. Okay, what? I'm curious. Simple things. Okay. Turn off your notifications. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Turn off your notifications on your phone. Um, uh, and be intentional when you pick up the phone, like literally. Like it's almost a mindfulness cue when we'll talk about mindfulness. But the moment the phone is in your hand, oftentimes we're already on the website. We're already scrolling before we're like check it, checked into what am I doing here? Yeah. So really watch it. You know, in, in a lot of mindfulness practices like mindful eating, for example, or mindful walking, we take very normal things that we do and we do them with intentionality and granularity. So think of it as like mindfulness of picking up the phone. It's like, oh, I feel it in my hand. Yeah. I'm going to take a second. And before I touch anything on the screen, I will think to myself, what is the intention of my engagement with my phone right now? Like have that always emerge at the front of your mind. That helps because even if it's to go do something fun and see, you know, oh, what do people wear at the Met Gala, for example? I know what my goal is. When I go and look at that, I can then stop and say, I've satisfied my goal. It's disengage. So those, it's a micro uh, control that we're, we're um, allowing ourselves to have. And the key to that is the awareness of where our mind is moment by moment. 
You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this episode with Dr. Amishi Jha on being in control of our attention. Next, she schools us on how being very intentional with our attention and focus isn't enough to overcome the stimulants vying for our attention. So we've got to create real tangible boundaries. Again, you can find Amishi's book on all this we're talking about, Peak Mind, wherever you get your books. I, I, I cannot mentally handle the notifications and the alerts and yet I've got a big family. I've got a lot going on and I've kind of gotten myself down to where my phone doesn't buzz. It doesn't ring. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. I have no alerts. I have every single alert from anything on. Of course I took social, I took social media off, so that's not even on there, but even emails, nothing's on there. So it's only what I proactively go and do. Now I'm able to do that admittedly for folks listening because I am spending most of my working day on my computer and I have iMessage up. And so if there's a text, which is normally family or really close friends, uh, it will come up there, but I don't know how people, yeah, withstand the influx of that. And of course, but back over here, you're saying, you know, again, that's somewhat, uh, sub, not sub, uh, submissive, not, that's not the word either, but to being intentional to knowing what we're about in a that's given not day. Gonna be enough. That's not going to be enough because okay. no matter how intentional you are, like I say, I want to read this email on my screen. That's my goal right now. If I hear not just a ding, but a vibration that's like an alert, I'll be like, Oh yeah, it's happening. Right. So and that is because we have this system that we talked about, this voluntary attention system, the attentional orient orienting system. But we have a second system, and just to give the technical term, exogenous orienting. It sure. goes wherever the stimuli grab it to go. And they're constantly gonna be in a battle with each other. So even if this system says do this, the exogenous system is always on on alert to notice whatever's happening in the environment and respond to it efficiently, especially if it detects it as salient, you know, prominent in the environment. And that's what you're trying to dial down. But yeah. knowing that that's happening to you, because frankly, the moment that your attention's over there now, you still have to use that voluntary attention to get it back. Yeah. So you're putting yourself, we were going back to the notion you were mentioning multitasking, you're putting yourself in a position where you're constantly having to engage in task switching because of the pull of these various Uh, devices. It's interesting. I had the phone vibrate for so many years that I often hear or feel it vibrate. Yeah. Phantom vibration. Even though, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you mentioned multitasking and you know, I have heard a couple people talk about that's kind of a myth, but again, you've put some of the science behind that since I think it it might've been Cal Newport or something. I've thought about it. I don't know if it's his term or my paraphrase as it's just you know, very quick attention segmenting, but I can't actually multitask. But again, from your research, yeah, so let's, unpack let's it. Let's talk about it. So Please. we talk. I just mentioned. You know, we we're talking about this system of attentional orienting and the flashlight. I didn't say flashlights. I said flashlight because we only have one. When I said that the brain recalibrates even perception, it's because the entirety of what gets recalibrated is based on what we pay attention to. So what does that mean? Like, think of the analogy of. Um, 
like a, 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 just a simple metaphor of like, a, let's say you've got a studio apartment, right? You got to do everything in that apartment. You got to cook, you got to eat, you got to entertain. So what do you do? If you're going to have a, a, a people over, you'll recalibrate it so it's like a nice entertainment space. So essentially think of attention that way. It's like okay. I have a goal. I'm going to have a thing I pay attention to and everything else and the room now is representing the brain, is recalibrated to optimize for my ability to achieve that goal. Right. So now all of a sudden it's time for bed and i got to rearrange it so it's a sleeping space. That's a different task. The brain is reconfigured for a different task. That switch from dinner party studio apartment to bedroom studio apartment is the equivalent of what the brain is doing when you switch between one task and the next. It's recalibrating. It's exhausting. And as you can imagine, it's exhausting, right? Exactly. So multitasking isn't actually a thing. The thing our brain is actually doing is task switching. It's orienting the flashlight here, recalibrating the brain, and then orienting it over here, recalibrating it again. And then we're doing that over and over again. And if we continue to allow this to happen, we will deplete this limited brain resource of attention. And we feel it. Okay, and what gets me in there? I hadn't thought about it till now, Amishi, but I have, I, so I had three kids uh, initially, uh, three kids, and we thought we were done five years or something passed, and we started having more. But at the time, I remember going, I, thinking, I, I don't understand how to have more kids because it's got to take away the attention I give to these kids. I think. You know, I, I do believe that my love has multiplied and is equal for the kids, but my attention, what I was worried about there, that actually came to pass. So we have nine kids. Wow. Yeah. And the truth, <laughs> the truth, what I feared, it, 100%. There, I do not spend the individual time with my younger ones that I did with my older ones. And, and at large, we do a lot of group stuff, but individual time is, is absolutely uh, limited and to some degree, some of the depth, at least of experience. I feel like my relationships are fairly deep, but there's experiences that I don't do. I've got kids off, you know, he's doing cross country. He's at a soccer game and my older kids, I would have never missed anything. I was that dad. You don't miss anything. Mm. Well, now I do. I, I may miss it just because I'm going, I I'm just going to sit on the deck guys. I'm, I'm toast. Um, <laughs> but to that, what is now bothering me or I should say convicting me with yours is back to your task. You know, our multitasking, separating our attention is I can't go as deep. I'm so I'm living in the shallows. I'm giving all those things a little bit of attention, just like every kid gets a little bit of attention, but it's not a deep conversation. We're not getting to the heart here. And am I doing Am I, I am doing that with my life when I don't, it hears a hard word, but when I don't take, when I don't listen to what you're talking about in this book, I mean, you're, that's what you're saying. Yeah, I am. Can I exist? Can I perform at a decent level? Sure. But I, there's no way I can go deep. So I'm living in the shallows. Is that fair to say? I can certainly feel like it. It can certainly okay. feel like we just can't um, sustain and deepen the relationships we have, the conversations we have, even our thinking, yeah. because we're on to the next thing. But I wanted to just say something in response to what you said a moment ago regarding I don't give enough I don't give as much time. And I want to make sure we clarify it's not about time. It's about the stability and the fullness of your attention. Okay. So I bet if you gave one of the children, you know, 15 minutes of fully like they are your full focus and they felt it in a non 
weird way because dad's was dad paying attention to me when I do that with my kids and they're like okay yeah mom it's fine <laughs> but it's wanted it's desired they want to have a conversation with you and you are fully there listening to every word really feeling it yeah that could be more worth more than hours together okay, an okay. entire day together that's fair so just remember that that it's and and this is the thing that you can cultivate that depth of connection yeah. is yeah. possible um, without a lot of time. And this goes back to what attention is. Attention is the fuel that allows us to think, feel, and connect. So when you stop multitasking or limit the amount of multitasking you do, you now recoup those capacities to use for those purposes, even if your time isn't greater. Okay, so you said think, feel, and connect. I want to jump over now into business. I talked about that. So I'm going to go away for a weekend and it is going to be just some, you know, soul time. I'm going to go on some great rides and, and runs, but I'm, I'm going to spend some time hours upon hours of riding, which I struggle to do in the grind of the daily life. I have a beautiful grind, but in that, yeah. in that, um, I don't isolate myself enough to, as I said, go down the rabbit hole. So you talk, you just said it a second ago and you talked about it in the book, just thinking, and it got me, again, taking captive that aspect of thinking. And we, I just, who's, nobody's talking about it except you. I mean, she, nobody's talking about just the power of thinking that we don't do anymore. We take life, something happens, we respond with whatever skill, ability, talent, experience we have. And it may be pretty good. But when do we think, and I've mentioned it before, my muse on this, not that I'm a fan of his, but I like the concept, is um, Bill Gates as a, youth at least and his mom comes in he's sitting out in the middle of the garage as the story goes maybe it's a, a legend but i still like the the idea sitting out there in the garage she says what are you doing and he says i'm thinking like, when do we let that brain our brain my brain take a concept take a thought take an idea take a problem take a an opportunity and just sit there and think nothing but think this isn't meditation and clearing the mind but just literally, no, I'm going to put the machine on that I've got here and let it think. And I'm, I'm so aware of the power of that, especially when I am writing and taking an idea and going down through that. But I'm a little blown away, Amishi, at how seldom I do it. Like instead of medit, you know, people we have so many meditation apps. You got me thinking. Maybe this is what you need to do next for me. A thinking app. No, this is your time. This is your five minutes, your ten minutes, your, and you're going to sit there and you're going to take this issue. And just give it your full attention and think. It's just so, it's unheard so, of. This is so interesting, Kevin, because just to say, just to clarify. So you you just said it in passing, but I want to clarify because okay. my work is deals with meditation. And I yeah. started studying meditation in my lab as a tool to improve attention. So in particular, the kind of meditation that we study is something called mindfulness meditation, yeah. which has to do with paying attention to our present moment experience uh, without this sort of editorializing about it. So just let's, let me just draw the parallels for you, okay? So a very simple and common foundational mindfulness meditation practice would be something like pay attention to your breath-related sensations. Right. That's your focus. Shine the flashlight there. That's your goal. Stay right there. Breath-related sensations. You're there. When your mind wanders, because it'll be off, gently return it, all right? So what are we training when we do that? This is really not, especially from my point of view, we are not, yeah. and I'll tell you this because this is what our research confirms, 
we're not tr- we're not trying to get people to to, to um, become excellent breath followers. We're not doing it because we care about the breath. We're not actually even doing it to help them calm down or relax or take a little spa vacation or clear their mind. By the way, the reason we're doing this is because we want them to be able to exercise this fundamental capacity to willfully direct the brain's yeah. computational resources where they want you want them to go. Notice when you're pulled away and return them back. So replace the word focus on the breath with res- focus on a thought. The same applies. Okay? Hey, so that's yeah. the challenge to thinking. You have a thought. That's the focus. You notice when you're off. And sometimes in thinking it's difficult because there are conceptual elaborations which are helpful to the poor thinking itself. So you've got to kind of watch um, whether you're actually going down the wrong rabbit hole or it's actually something to pursue that will lead you back uh, to the goal. But the key is you're aware that the intention is to have a particular kind of domain of, of mental content, and you're aware when your mind is totally off that content. So now if you're thinking about your vacation or a boat or a new trail you want to go have a bike ride in, you're not on the task at hand, and you know it. So that's the really cool part about this. And a lot of my work that is actually with active duty military leaders is is now in the domain of thinking about how mindfulness training can be applied to strategic thinking, to leadership, to things that have to do not so much with calming down, but fully being able to do the job okay i got a i've got a curiosity question uh yeah. to put at you in as you understand the neuroscience of this i have literally talked to my kids so the jason Bourne or the Bourne movies right so uh uh matt damon is the character in there and i really like his character i like the character of his character i should say in that and i like his intuitiveness and I'm thinking about that because we can, you know, we can get off track glorifying different perspectives. And there's a scene in there that I've talked about because I've told my kids I, when they go into a social situation, a, a skill, a superpower is just being aware of your surroundings, being aware of people, reading them and not being you know, focused totally on yourself or even just, you know, narrow focus. I've got a kid right now who's just learning to drive. And I've talked about that, man, your, your propensity is to have the blinders on. You got to be aware of what's happening over here. But going back to the, the, the born movie, the guy is ultra focused. I mean, here's the objective, which is probably somebody trying to kill him. He is dead. I mean, his attention is there and yet he is aware, but he's not multitasking. Nope. Okay. Play with that with me. Okay, great. This is perfect. You're leading me into the second brain system of attention. Okay. So the first brain system of attention is this capacity to narrow and focus the flashlight. A second capacity of the brain is something I describe as in a metaphor of a floodlight. This is the alerting system. This is being broad and receptive. Okay. The job of the alerting system is not to discount anything. Everything is data for it. And so that capacity is the, almost the polar opposite of the narrowing. Right? Narrowing is advantaging some information over the others. In alerting, what you're doing is advantaging right now. That's the most important thing. Like what is happening right now, broadly speaking, is the most important thing. So, you know, the the floodlight is a good metaphor. The other way I think about it is sort of like if you're driving and speaking of people learning how to drive, and you see a flashing yellow light, not a yellow traffic light, but right. just a flashing light. What does your mind do when it sees that? Usually it says, ah, pay attention. But do you know what you should be paying attention to? No. Keep it broad, receptive. You don't know what's important. So just be ready so that the moment something might occur, a weird traffic pattern, children playing, boom, you can focus in the right way and respond to it. So that's the complement to the focusing is the broadening and, and noticing. Okay. I like, no, I like the light analogies because I'm, 
currently part of my book is, which talks about drive and, and narrowing and focusing your drive. And I use the analogy of a, of a laser. I mean, so we're talking about light, you know, photons and atoms and yada, yada, and they're just out there and we can have the floodlight, we can have the flashlight, we can have the spotlight, we can have the laser uh, in that. But that helps me understand that. You know, let me, this, and this is one I, I didn't want to pass up. I, I want to try to be as politically correct and as compassionate as I can. And you've got to deal with this a lot. Attention deficit disorder, right? Something I never heard of as a kid. I, I, maybe it existed, but it's kind of like, you know, aller, being, having allergies to food and stuff. I, they didn't exist when I was a kid. You had one kid who maybe had something that you heard of in fifth grade. Um, and now it's, 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 everybody has it. It's a huge thing. They have to alter the menus, you know? So attention deficit has gotten so much attention. And, um, I, I've had people want to label me with that. And one, I don't like labels Two, I don't really, I feel like I, I choose to, I like to be spontaneous. I like distractions. I like to be I'm an entrepreneur. I work for myself. I can do whatever the heck I want anytime. I love that. So I enjoy that. Do I really have some clinical thing? And I'm going to kind of put that to you a little bit to where even if we are increasing on the clinical side of attention deficit disorder, is this world that we're in growing it? Yeah. So here's the broad thing I'd say, you know, we talked about two systems so far on each of those systems. Each of us has some kind of set point without doing any kind of training. We can change that set point if we train. So this capacity to narrow, we basically have some capacity to do that and broaden. Some people are really good at the broadening and may not be able to narrow. Some people are very good at narrowing and may not be able to broaden. So these can be complementary across systems, but there can also be just kind of contradictory to each other um, as well. And, and people are so different. So really what we're talking about is a diversity of attentional capacities okay. for at least two of the systems. And when we talk about ADD, essentially what we're talking about is when we, um, especially as it's described as a clinical disorder, is when there's a functional problem. When people are running into problems conducting their lives, then it becomes disordered. Okay. But the way we can actually... Um, conceptualize it is not so much regarding the um, the problematic aspect um, but really uh, you know is it the case that it's actually uh, appropriate for the moment okay. <laughs> right so for certain kinds of jobs you better be able to focus and you better be able to focus for a long time I'm thinking like a neurosurgeon right oh you don't want a neurosurgeon that is broad but if you're a firefighter and you are at the top of a a fire um, station watch standing, you better be broad. You better not narrow and be able to do that. So, you know, these are different. There's different propensities and then different set points. But there is actually a, um, a third system that I wanted to talk about that actually gets to this point, uh, which is something that we can talk about, or it's called uh, executive functions. Right. And this is what I describe in my book as the juggler. And the juggler's job is to ensure that our actions and our goals align. So it's just like the word executive is like the executive of a company. And, you know, you said you talk about a lot of these business topics. We know what executives experience. Their job isn't to do every little task. Their job is to ensure that the tasks get done and that the resources of the organization are, are um, being used in a way that aligns with the goals. 
So that's what I'm, that's what I mean by a juggler. It's like keeping all the balls in the air. You're not doing each individual thing. So oftentimes you can have types of attentional difficulties that are just a mismatch between people's set point and their profession or their particular circumstances. And that can cause problems, which sometimes leads to people being labeled as, as disordered. Other times, um, you know, there really is a clinical problem. And, um, but the good news is that, you know, oftentimes it's, well, let me not say the good news. It's not just that people are scattered. So that simplified way of thinking about ADD is like people are all over the place. Some types of ADD are actually, you are hyper-focused and cannot unfocus when you need to, hmm. which can also cause functional hmm. problems. So I just, the broad, the broad point is there are these multiple types of attention. We all have different, I always think of it as sort of like a mixing board where you are on those um, changes as a function of who you are, the task demands, and sometimes it can be problematic and other times it's not. And when it's problematic, people just want solutions. How can I actually function better, right? And here's the one kind of interesting thing, because we have done work with patients with ADD as it relates to mindfulness training, as well as just understanding the nature of ADD. There's, when you have people that have ADD, but do not report, like if you looked at their scores, they'd say, yeah, this person definitely is off, off the normal range of, of these functions. But they don't report functional challenges in their lives. Yeah. The one thing that they tend to all have is something called, and it's a technical term, so I'll unpack it, meta-awareness. Okay. And meta-awareness is basically noticing where that flashlight is so that you can bring it back. It's, it's a, an aspect of that broad receptive stance. It's the ability. It's, meta means just within itself, awareness. It's awareness of awareness. Hmm. So when you, are, when you know where your attention is moment by moment, it doesn't matter if you tend to wander off. It doesn't matter if you tend to hyperfixate. You can pull yourself away because you know this may not be aligned with the task at hand. And what the, the kinds of things I'm very interested in pursuing in my lab and that we've studied is how do you cultivate that in people? How do you give them more of that? Because then regardless of the attentional challenge, they'll be able to meet that challenge because they'll have more of a sense of where their mind is. And, and really, that's what I mean when I use the term peak mind. Okay. So, and the answer to that... <laughs> question you're pursuing is you're in pursuit of but how do you increase that yeah you you first of all it's not as easy as just knowing it so now that i've told you okay be more meta aware kevin just always be aware of what's going on moment by moment what's the content and processes in your mind right now you'd be like okay as we're talking you'll be like okay i am i'm listening to your voice i'm noticing i want to you know move on to the next topic whatever it is you're fully acknowledging what it is it's the most fragile of resources and it evaporates unless we train to keep it front and center. Yeah. So we got to train for meta awareness. And this goes back to why mindfulness ended up being such this indispensable and very okay. unlikely tool. Like I never thought I'd study this stuff, but it has in particular this quality of cultivating meta awareness. Okay. Well, and I appreciate that. I think, I think it was, I'll credit Johnny Powlard who has the meditation app, something like one giant mind. I can't remember, but I had him on the show and he talked about that. And in his uh, platform, he would talk about that. What he said, it's impossible to totally clear your mind and think about nothing, but it's going to wander, but then bring it back, bring it back. And he didn't use the terms. And now I hear you say, no, it, it's yeah. Can I con learn to control? But my it's attention? not about the bringing back. That's okay. not what I'm talking about. First of all, let me just say hundred percent you cannot clear your mind. Okay. Get rid of that concept from your, 
your conceptual landscape. It does not exist. If you are alive and awake and conscious, even actually if you're asleep, your mind will be filled with mental content. It is just the nature of the mind to have content in it. So forget about that as even a project you want to pursue. So now we're not even talking about trying to clear the mind. It's not about bringing it back. Okay. Bringing it back is what happens after what I'm talking about. Okay. What I'm talking about is notice where it is so that you know whether to bring it back. So how do you notice where your attention is? You've got to be watching for where it is and you've got to practice watching for where it is. And, you know, this is where we're going back to what you were saying earlier about your children and, and the time we spend with our kids. I have children as well. Oftentimes we're there, but we're not there. Yeah. We're sitting with them. We're yeah. talking to them. But our mind is a thousand other places. And this is where I would say for my personal life, it helped me the most is that I noticed that even if I was physically there, even if I was looking at them in the, fa- in the face, including my own spouse, my mind is somewhere else. Yeah. I'm there maybe 5%. So how do I fully bring myself there, right? But I wouldn't have even thought to be able to fully bring it there unless I noticed where my mind was, and it was not on the most important and precious people in my life. It helps when the stakes are high, like I'm doing this show with you right now, and as I see a couple huge mule deer go by, my attention goes, but I can't do that for long, and uh, and come back. Go for it. Enjoy the vista. Yeah. <laughs> what you just said, though, Amishi, is is something that, I think I've always done, but I go through, you know, we all go through cycles and busy cycles and exciting things or, or scary things and hard things in our lives that will tend to take our minds. But I've had more times lately of just what you said. I am face to face. I'm looking at you and I may even be going, "Uh uh-huh. And nodding, especially with my, my family, unfortunately. And then realizing, actually I did this with a counselor recently because she said one thing and it got me off on a good tactic, but then, or good yeah. path. But then she's talking and I had to turn back and go, I, I heard nothing of what you just said. Say that again. Yeah. Because my, yeah. yeah and there we are. So can we talk about that? Cause please, I think that please. what you just described there is so, is a very powerful example of our attention. So what just happened in that episode where somebody says something to you, your intention is to look at them and get the information from what they're saying, but it triggers in you a thought or a path of whole conceptual. And in this sense, an emotion right? even, I mean, it was a, it was big, exactly. it was a big, thought. very powerful stuff. So what happened in that moment? You had sensory input. This goes back to what you were saying about what do you mean? Attention affects perception. Okay. So your flashlight was on this person speaking that, that triggered in you a thought that required you to actually, or, or didn't even require it made you go internal so that now you're actually paying attention more. What's prominent in your own mind, the furniture's being rearranged, so you're pursuing that thought. What happened in that moment? Your actual ability to perceive the sound of her voice, comprehend her words, went down. And if we had a brain cap on you in that moment, and I was looking at the auditory response in your temporal lobes, it would have been lower when you were doing that versus when you were actually attending to her. And that's what I mean by attention affects perception. So tell me, I pulled this out of somewhere of, of your information. You segmented, it wasn't attention. You have to tell me now, but I, cause I pulled the words themselves were of interest to me. You had four areas of attention and you said it's depleted, hijacked, fragmented, disconnected. And again, I really appreciate the science of what you're doing and because t- we take things and we, t- we, me included, tend to just lump it and it's one thing, right? 
it's attention. It's just, it's a thing. There's a definition. We can go on to Merriam-Webster and there's a definition. It, it is. And you're saying, no, it's just whole pie of family whole yeah. family of things. And you've done that a couple of times here. So talk about those things that happen to our attention, depleted, hijacked, fragmented, disconnected. Cause you're in essence saying when my attention is, um, threatened, uh, it's not even one way. Here's four different ways. That's right. And, you know, just to go back to the episode that you just described, in some sense, your attention in that moment was hijacked by a thought. Uh Okay, so, and let's now go back to that first word, depleted. You had the awareness, and actually, you probably would get the feedback. So if somebody's talking to you, I mean, this happens to me. I know about all this stuff, and it still happens to me. It's just humanity, being human. You're you're wanting to talk to somebody, or you're, you're talking to somebody. You have a thought. You're kind of internal. And then what do you hear? Did you hear me? Are you listening? Right? That's the cue that says, uh, excuse me, bring that flashlight back. So that would be a case where your attention was hijacked away uh, without your knowing it. You weren't trying to ignore this person. You were just pulled by something that was in that moment more salient for your mind. Now, when I use that term depleted, depleted really is the fullness, the full resources of your mind to be able to use any of these systems of attention. Okay. And typically, if we have our full capacity, we can catch ourselves. You know, we're socially astute. We're emotionally intelligent. It's like, okay, not nice to just keep ignoring my uh, spouse or my conversation partner. Get back on task. Even even if it wasn't consequential, you might be like, okay, come on. Let's try to listen to what they're saying. When our attention is depleted, it is harder to do that. So even this idea of focusing, noticing, returning, all that starts falling apart when the core capacity is just there's less of it, like a gas tank getting, uh, uh, you know, emptied. And what we know is that circumstances, and again, this goes back to the kind of work that I do with service members, you know, high stakes professionals, business leaders, um, medical professionals, first responders, in, under high stress circumstances where you've got a demanding thing you got to do. And by the way, writing a book is one of those. You got a demanding thing you got to do, and it's a protracted time frame. You will see, at, you know, from our own lab's work, my own lab's work, that attention gets depleted. And so that's why it's the first on the list. When attention gets depleted, the chances of all these other things happening are greater. Okay, you saying it that way, I, uh, so I, a friend is Dr. Benjamin Hardy, Ben Hardy, and he wrote the book, um, uh, Willpower Doesn't Work. And in that, he one of the things I really appreciated is he says it's not, our willpower is not infinite. We have a certain amount, a certain capacity, let's say on a given day. So if you have spent your day really exerting your willpower on whatever, that by the end of the day and you come home at night and there's the bag of chips and you're watching Netflix, I mean, you just don't have a whole lot left. So what are ways that you can save that? Is attention similar if I go through the day? Actually the same. Okay. We'd break, I'd have to break down uh, what that what this particular author meant by willpower. But what I'm talking about, oftentimes will, willpower is just going back to that executive functions. Okay. Uh, there's a goal and there's action, and I want to make them align. And my willpower is my capacity to make them align. Right. So strong executive control, it, this, when the juggler's working fine, you've got a lot of willpower. It's like everything's aligned. It's going the way I want it to. When... That is a limited resource, just like all the other systems mm-hmm. of attention are limited. When we've got less of that, you know, I might have every intention that one of my goals in my juggling here is I want to eat more healthfully. Uh, but I'm so exhausted that things are falling apart, and yeah, I'll eat the carrot and I'll eat the cake instead of the carrot. 
So these are very similar concepts. And yes, there are depletable resources. What I'm talking about is not even uh, over the course of a particular uh, busy day, which it can happen, but over the course of weeks and months. Okay. And, you know, it, we see this, for example, even in, ch- even in um, students that from the beginning to the end of the semester, their attentional capacity is reduced. And so now they've got to go take finals. And when we look at pre-deployment soldiers, same thing. From the beginning and end of an eight-week deployment interval, as they're about to deploy, there's less attention. So if attention is the fuel for thinking, acting, and connect, or sorry, thinking, feeling, and connecting, you got less of it now, and now you got to go to a war zone. Yeah. So this is why I often say, you know, you have to train your attention like your life depends on it. And for many people, it really, it really does. Uh, and for all of us, it's actually really important, um, which goes back to, the kind of training program that we've been yeah. studying. Yeah. And I'm, again, I just get the picture of, you know, you're saying this is something we've dealt with forever. 200 years ago, I could be walking along trying to think through an opportunity, a problem, something, and I'm going to go for a walk. And I'm going to think about this thing. And obviously my mind can wander. I can see mule deer out here. I can hear a, uh, well, 200 years ago, not a car, I guess, but you know, <laughs> there, there's a distraction, there's a distraction. And then the distractions of my own mind, I want to think on this thing, but now I remember this conversation I had with my wife and whatever. So we had that. Now we have this device in my pocket that at worst case is beeping and buzzing and doing its thing and ringing and whatever, which is impossible. Let's say I shut that stuff down. If I am, especially to go to kids these days and urge anybody who's really participating in social media to think, man, what's going on? What's, what's new? There's something always new. This thing's in my pocket. It's not buzzing, but man, there's a new post. There's a new like, there's a new issue. There's more news. Something could happen. I mean, the world could be blowing. It could be a meteor coming in. Anything could be happening that I could know about uh, right now. There's new entertainment. It might be a new show on. Is my new, is my show, you know, coming on. That's happening. And that we know that fear of missing out And it just, again, feels like you've mentioned the word battle, I think, multiple times that we are, it does feel like we are in a war. And how do you take that? Because it's not to be pessimistic. You know, this is going to happen. It's not going to slow down. If anything, it's going to get forward. And so, like you said, I appreciate that you've turned your own alerts off. You're doing the, the temporal things to try to deal with that. But the greatest superpower would be that you know how to control and do you want do you put the word focus in there your attention or just yeah you want to be able to find out where your focus is so that you can then use it as you'd like okay so it's both things is knowing where your mind is and then doing with it what you'd like and the knowing where your mind is is the one that we're probably terrible at by default we're terrible at it i mean we know that for example you know we mind wander 50 percent of our lives our mind is going everywhere that's not at the task at hand half of our waking moments so that's the, then that's, that's the healthy default of our mind. That's without any technology, right? Where we're not where we want to be. So add to that anything else, and we're going to have, uh, we're up against a real challenge. And my answer to that is you've got to train for it, and you can. You can train for it, but the training is not what you think. The training is not practice focusing. You might say, if I want to be better at focusing, I practice focusing. No, practice noticing when you're not focused. So we're back to awareness. I mean, as, as we're back to awareness, but awareness is not just some fluffy thing. It's the thing that you can, with granularity, actually cultivate more of. 
Yeah. You can practice it just like a bicep curl. You can actually get better at this. So you can do it on demand and it shows up more in your life. Like you all of a sudden are like, oh, what is happening right now? Yeah. Um, I'm just aware of what's happening. Well, I am now aware. <laughs> Our time is up. <laughs> well, I just, I, I, we could go on, you know, this is a book to study and, and to be involved with, cause this is not an easy fix, but just, I do really love the revelatory aspect of having something given to me in a new paradigm and you have given gravity to, I just haven't thought it that that's why you're on the show. I mean, I haven't thought that, that my attention is my superpower and how, again, back to that victim type thing of giving my power away of how often I do that. And I, and my concern that with our culture today, it's almost a badge of honor, you know, to be busy, to be scatterbrained, to be, to have my attention. I think, no, that's weak. I, I don't, want to be weak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, you know, I can understand it's a journey to understand these things, to actually like incorporate them into your own mind. Cause if anything's new, it takes a while to have it gel. But I do think the first, the first pass is understanding what I'm talking about and understanding that this is a precious brain resource. It has very, it's consequential for everything. It permeates everything. Mm -hmm. It's very, very powerful but it's also extremely fragile. It's vulnerable to all those four things that you were just saying. So knowing both of those is a very like, you feel like, wait, it's important, but it's also gonna break down a lot. Yes, both are true. And we know the kinds of things that make it break down. Stress, threat, fear, novelty. These are gonna, things that are gonna, and this is, the li- this is life. Those things are life. So now what do we do? If we want to, given how powerful it is, yet it's vulnerability, what can we do? And that's actually how my own lab went from sort of a basic neuroscience lab to now one that actually is trying to find actionable solutions. We tried everything. We've literally tried so many different things to try to see how we could help people pay attention. And the thing that we came to that really surprised me was, oh, have them do mindfulness practice? Like not something I ever thought, especially I would say, given my own cultural background that, you know, meditation is something I my, grew up with Indian parents, saw them meditating. I was such a skeptic. Yeah. Like, no, what, what's the use of sitting there with your eyes closed? You're wasting your time. But un, well, fortunately or unfortunately, it ends up that's a very powerful tool. And it's the equivalent of going to the gym for your mind. Well, you multiple times talked about, you know, a, a goal and an action. I mean, we all I think anybody listening to this show has goals throughout the day that they are somewhat, hopefully, and growing to be more cognizant of. So we have a goal. To do that, we need to give it a appropriate action. And to me, what it feels like the bridge in between that is my attention. How I mean, we talk about time management. We talk about all these things. But I feel like, no, here, this is what, this is what gets me is I, you've just hit a root issue. You've hit, we're, we're playing up here with these symptomatic terminologies and vernacular and we're trying to address them and not getting to the root issue and i feel like that's what's excited me about excited me and and it's daunting as well but to say my attention's under attack it is my power it's the bridge between my goal and the appropriate actions to take to get that and i am uh i'm gonna have to give myself some grace here too because i'm frustrated with i am letting my attention my superpower be well, all those things, depleted, fragmented. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, that's exactly why I ended the book with like, well, let me give in this book tools that we have spent the last 15 years de- developing for time-pressured people 
so that there's a path forward because yeah. you don't want to leave people with hopelessness. Yeah. You want something that they can start doing now. And like a very simple thing that everybody that's listening to your podcast can do right now is something, um, and I'm just going to give it to you because I think, why not? It's it's not a long meditation. By the way, the the, med- the mindfulness practices I offer 12 minutes a day. Yeah. Like you know, 12 minutes a day. But this is something called the the stop practice, which maybe you've, you've heard of this practice. But think of this every time you're stopped anywhere a stop sign you know if you don't drive waiting for, to cross the street waiting for an elevator i don't care stopped at a um uh, in the line at the grocery store use these micro opportunities for cultivating this kind of awareness so stop is an acronym okay stop like literally whatever you're doing stop take a breath and that's one deliberate breath and it's not about the 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 control of the breath it's just feeling fully that you're breathing Observe is the O. Proceed. Hmm. So stop. S. Take a breath. T. Observe. Proceed. Hmm. If you inject micro moments of this, and we, by the way, we did this with basic combat training, and, and it actually made a difference on so many aspects of their functioning of these cadets coming in. It will. It's this. It's the starter kit. It gets you really starting to feel like you own your attention again. Um, which is it, which is what we want. Okay, well now I'm eager to hear some of the habits. We're going to go to the next show because I want to hear some of your attention, your habits in regards to that. I, again, I, I'm so grateful that this got presented um, to me, and I am I'm excited to apply it to my life. I'm going to be talking awesome. to my family about it tonight, and um, actually I'll send them your te- maybe we'll just watch the TED talk together, and I'll send it to my. Um, my older kids, the research you have done that really, I know in research, you got to watch how you use the word prove, but I'm not the researcher, so I can use it and say, <laughs> it just proves it out. It's fascinating. Um, so I'm grateful for the work you've done, the effort you've made to bring it to us and the benefit that I have already gotten. And I'm going to continue to get Amishi. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun. Friends, I, again, I'm just so convicted by this show. My attention is my power and who or what I, I, I let it, I let have it is who I give my power to and how much do I give power to Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Netflix, emails, text. When do I give my power, my attention to my most important work, to my most important relationships? Again, you can find Amishi's book, Peak Mind, wherever you get your books. Coming up in episode 936, we look at the power of our perspective on ourselves. And so here's the question I ask. If I ask you to tell me the positive attributes of someone in your life whom you like and respect, you'd easily do it. If I ask you to rattle off the positive attributes of yourself, how does it initially feel? Can you readily conceive of it? Or does it set you back a bit to think about saying, hey, you know, I can tell you all these great things about my buddy Randy, but let me tell you good things about me. It's interesting. The responses were really compelling. Tom Ziegler and I talked through the comments and this incredibly impacting aspect of who and how we are.